This is Brian Janikowski with the Market Watch podcast, Friday, July the 21st. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started. So we were talking a lot this week, Christian, about how the trading volumes were very were down this week, were suppressed this week. Uh, you know, what does that mean? Is this kind of some seasonal um, trading activity? But you know, what should we keep our eye on in terms of the trading volumes being being so down this this week? Yeah, they are they are way down. Roughly, the S and P five hundred has about uh, three billion shares a day. So you know, fifty dollars. That's um, that's $150 billion or something of, uh, of daily turnover. Um, and a lot of that is uh, ETFs. And um, we, we discussed just the other day that, you know, SPY, SPY, the big State Street ETF index tracker, has this phenomenal turnover rate. It, it, it can turn over as much as 20% a day. So that's, you know, thousands of percent in a year. And they're a very large part of uh, overall trading volume, as much as 30% in some cases. But in this last week, we've seen trading volume down by about a third. Uh, and and then SPY is down by uh, a similar sort. So what seems to be, I think some of it's seasonable. seasonal. We talked about this, people leaving early on Friday. Unfortunately, you and I are not leaving early on a Friday, but other people seem to be leaving early on Friday. And, uh, and, and desks are a little thin and coverage is not, uh, as as much as it was the vacations and everything else, but I think uh, some of it is just simply a kind of a lack of direction. Um, the, the the sort of macro side seems fairly baked in. Uh, we're in a blackout period with the Fed for another week. Um, economic numbers have not really surprised one way or the other. So I don't think there's a lot to trade on. I think that explains that that as, that as much as the uh, normal seasonal lull. Interesting. So, kind of a lack of narrative, and and in terms of of figuring out what are we supposed to do next. Yes, uh, and I think I think people. This is the type of market which has you know it's a kind of an overused phrase, but has has grinded higher. It's sort mm. of you know it's been a, a, on any given day, it's up a few points, up a few points. So inevitably, you get people short covering, and that sort of short term bullish. And then you've got the the classic FOMO, fear of mir- mm-hmm. missing out, where people are, you know, been sitting on the sidelines. We saw from Bamel Bank, Bank of America the other day that U.S. equity managers are bearish on the U.S. stocks. It means are underweight, but the more it goes up, the more they've got to cover that because then they they're going to be fearful of underperforming their benchmarks. So it's that kind of market mm. where. Uh, it goes up a little bit. People feel they're more underweight. They buy a little bit more. And we kind of got to just wait for these to uh, sort themselves out. So speaking of grinding higher, uh, a lot of people think that uh, the stock market is fully valued at this point. Um, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people in the last couple of weeks say, Ugh, I'm trying to position my portfolio a little bit more defensive and I'm going to cash because of that. But is there a way for investors um, rather than just going to cash, is there a way to bake in defensiveness um, into the portfolio? And what would that look like, um, in your opinion? I mean, I think that that's you know kind of asset allocation at its best. But you know, how can people bake in defensiveness to their portfolio weightings without having to go to cash? Yes, this is uh, this is interesting. You and I were in a conversation the other day about this. Um, Going to cash and waiting for the market to turn obviously is market timing, pure and simple. Very difficult to do. I've never been able to do it myself. Uh, I'm sure there are some people out there, but they're few and far between. Um, so 
how do you then construct the portfolio? Well, well, one way, which I don't really recommend, but people use it, is to uh, uh, barbell the portfolio. You keep it in very short duration bonds, and then you use your risk budget with the other assets, and that will sort of keep the overall portfolio somewhat uh, in check. Um, there are certainly hedging options that you can do, although they get rather expensive if you start writing calls and and or, or you know trying to buy uh, inverse ETFs or um, just essentially sort of going going in the opposite direction for the part of your portfolio. But the way I think is sort of the cheapest and especially for long-term investors, the really the best way to do it is to sort of bake into your assets um, the the more defensive part. Of, of the market. So in equities, for example, we've talked about buying companies with good, good dividend track records. A good, good dividend track records are quite attractive. You know, companies that have done this for 10 years or more and increase the dividend uh, every year are normally in a fairly good market position. They may not be the most exciting of co companies. They're obviously distributing capital rather than retaining it, so they might be a little bit X growth, but but they are going to hold up better in any kind of market correction. Another one we've talked about is balance sheet. You know, if uh, if a company is leveraged two, three, five times, uh, you know, for its interest uh, bill over its EBITDA, that's obviously going to be in a far more risky uh, uh, and and sort of a higher beta position than one with a cleaner balance sheet and not uh, having the access to. Uh, concern about access to the debt market. So so we try and do it that way. Uh, and that it certainly won't, if the market goes down, all stocks are going to go down. And and some of these we think will probably just go down uh, less than others. And and so protect, give you some sort of protection built into it. So that's, that's really, I think, the most effective way. The others can be short term successful, but they can really uh, be both ex expensive to execute. And if you get it wrong, you're going to get it wrong fairly spectacularly. And what about the bond side? I, I think it's the same sort sort of approach. Uh, you know, uh, we've we kind of take the position that buying into high yield and emerging market debt. You know, the the higher yielding parts of the debt market are, are not really the best place to be right now. Um, just because what you're being paid to take those risks, measured by the spread, is is fairly compressed. Um, so we're really in the higher quality. Uh, market high, high quality uh, corporate bonds, some high quality uh, mortgages, these closed end funds that we like to use, uh, and then we've got the treasury component. I think that's just another way to do it. The treasuries expose you to duration risk, um, but somehow duration risk feels a little less more manageable than the credit risk right now. So I think that's where you know you kind of build in the quality into your fixed income side as well. And with the performance uh, overseas as well, would you recommend people looking um, at holding maybe a little bit more weight in international equities as they normally would? And what would be that? What would be kind of the the top upper range of that um, of that weighting in your opinion? Yeah, that that's that's a great question and one which changes a little over time. Um, in an all equity portfolio, uh, again, sort of invested for the long term. Right now, we're we're at about 25% international. That's kind of the top end of the range. You can approach this from different perspectives. Of if you took a cap weighted global index, your international exposure would be more like 55% because the U.S. is such a big component of of 
global stock markets, but if, so if you kind of sh shared it around proportionally, you'd end up with about you know, almost 50% in overseas, a little bit uncomfortable for us and for many investors. 25% um, seems to give a good exposure to both developed and emerging. Uh, and right now of that 25%, about 15, 16 is in developed and the rest in emerging. And that seems to be a good number. Uh, some of that that number has been built up. So we started the year at 20%, but emerging markets are up 22% for a dollar investor so far this year compared to the S&P 8 or 9. So if you'd done nothing else but just held those, those proportions would have gone up a bit. And so we're kind of comfortable with that level. But it's been a, it's been a good year for, uh, for, for emerging markets, and they've had another good week. Developed markets have been not, have been strong too, but not but have taken a bit of a rest over the last uh, six weeks or so. Mm -hmm. Great. I want to turn now to um, something that's coming up um, in September, in terms of the government. It is the debt ceiling crisis, uh, which will will remain to be seen. But what should we keep our eye on um, in terms of this event, and what could this mean possibly um, if we do default uh, for the bond markets? Well, obviously, a default is is uh, the worst of all possible outcomes. Um, there might be a technical default, and there has been a technical default in a T-bill market many, many years ago, where a, a payment is is missed by a, a matter of hours. Um, it would. It's difficult to sort of not not get too used to too much superlative languages because obviously, with with the U.S. A credit being such a benchmark for all global investors, if if there is a technical default of a coupon being paid late, or a, a principal redemption being paid being paid late, this is this is pretty disastrous. But we've come very close to it before, and the market kind of muddled through and got there. So I think that it it it, it is extreme. I don't want to underplay it, but I think the Treasury will find ways to keep. Uh, bondholders whole um, and part of that they can do because of the 19 trillion dollars which uh, which is outstanding debt about five trillion dollars is held by Social Security by the other uh, pension trust funds and so on so they can essentially write an IOU to another branch of the government but eventually they'll run out of space even to do that so hoping that it won't be bad I think it will be sort of political uh, bluster and noise going on because it coincides with the continuing resolution budget. Um, but it's certainly one where I have some concerns about it on a, on a nightly basis. And <laughs> but I don't think it'll be as bad as my as my as, as my fears. At least I, I very much hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk about the dollar. So just very bluntly, what is up with the dollar? I mean, it's it's That's been down 10% this year. Do you know, uh, <laughs> sometimes the uh, it's moved very fast in a very short space of time. Sometimes that's just a lack of liquidity in the market. People want dollars and there aren't enough, uh, oh sorry, they want the euros and the yen and there are not enough of them. At that time, they get bid up and you see the spot rate going, going, going up uh, with it. But I think some of it has to be this ongoing disappointment with the uh, with the, with the with the administration, obviously, its political uh, successes or otherwise have been pretty well telegraphed in the news the last last two weeks. I don't think anyone's sort of viewing the U.S. as is negotiating from a 
position of strength in anything right now. So I think um, I think some of that is just people wanting to sell out of the dollar. Some of it again has come back to this technical side, and it's just a shortage of them. Um, but if you look at the we include a chart this week. Uh, it's down 10% on a, not on a trade weighted basis. That's a bit more difficult to measure, but on the on the dollar index. I mean, that's a lot for a currency which trades you know trillions of dollars every day. So there's something going on. I think with people just wanting to be long uh, euro yen, mm. feeling that that mitigates their risk bit, uh, mm. a, a little bit. And I think all this is manageable. If it gets too extreme, then the Fed might feel compelled to do something. Although that would be more in, the, in line with that tightening exercise. Well, thank you, Christian, and thank you for listening. Thanks, Emily, and everyone have a good weekend. And uh, here's the disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment strategy, the data's commentary, is subject to notice without change. We cannot assure that the type of investment is true. Discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or attractive risk of data investment in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is mentioned in this commentary only several unsuccessful and successful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended, although we deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary. We cannot guarantee the accuracy or competence of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results.